It's Saturday, June 20th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 548 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and four minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Laura. My name's Chad. I'm Brodor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For those of you that are not clear why he's being so timid, it's because he just annihilated a regular episode with no, ma- with he made up episode material. A regular episode. He spearheaded the shortest negative episode. Yeah, in yeah. All right, all right. So, so, and you can get that negative episode if you contribute to the Patreon. Yes, and one of our next, I don't know if it's going to be negative or bonus. It depends on what comes out of it. But at some point, what's her name on my right is going to remember to bring her tarot cards, and she's going to do readings for everyone at the table, dude. And I also, don't... we're going to give you random trivia questions to tarot for us. We're going to have a talk about what tarot is and isn't. Before that happens. Uh, tarot, I'm a man. Tarot is what I want it to be. So, you think about that. You think... <laughs> All right. But, so... Also, her name is Laura. How do you spell Dan. that? L-U-R-A. <laughs> F- all of you. <laughs> so, I have a thing. I am really terrible at spelling. Oh, he's so bad. I will. He keeps writing her name is Laura. Laura. L-U-R-A. See, that's so weird. Like Luna with an R instead yes. of an N. Here's the yes. thing. If you look on, like, on yeah, on mm-hmm. the boards. I constantly. But it, constantly. But it's but just the one letter, right? But I consistently spell it. He's just missing the one. He's just missing I consistently that misspell yep. it the same way. Yeah. And here's the thing. I, I think I mentioned this before. I have a learning disability in spelling, mm-hmm. right? I can read all sorts of stuff and point out every single misspelled word in a document. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I go to type the document, I misspell everything. But the, I get it. the, the, the yeah. proof that God loves Chad <laughs> is the existence of F7, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know in Outlook or Word or whatever, F7 is the spell check grammar check function. I could do an entire bonus episode on the history, ups and downs of spell checkers since the 80s. I've used them all. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, I've only had to start using them as I get older because when I was younger, I was an excellent speller. But as I get older, it's like I find more and more I have trouble remembering like, you know, if you look at a word like allotment, is there one L or two L's, one T or two T's? One L, two T's. It's, it's not consistent because English has borrowed from so... How, his spelling is not consistent, I think. English is so... Well, yeah, well I'll get to my inconsistency <laughs> in a second here. But because English has borrowed from so many languages, English is relatively grammatically simple. The two hard things about English is, one, it has the largest diction, so it has the most words of any language on earth, which is a bit mitigated by the fact that we don't tend to use most of them. But the other thing that's really hard about English is the spelling. There is no consistency. You tell me a word in German— I can probably be 90 some odd percent sure, even if I've never seen the word before, I can spell it correctly. In English, you got like a 25% chance of spelling it right. I mean, for all kinds of different reasons. But one of the big ones is because we borrow from so many other languages. And whereas what they tend to do in French is they either tend to reinvent new words 
So if you give them a word they don't have, instead of taking, say, the English word, which they do sometimes, but they, they often tend to create a new French word for it, and it will conform to the standardized pronunciation and spelling of French. And I'm not saying other languages don't have this issue, but I'm just saying that for English, it is so normative across the course of a sentence that words that sound so similar can be spelled so differently. I was talking to Johnny G about this, and he was so baffled by why people keep putting Did e. keep his shirt on? <laughs> why people keep putting an E in judgment because he works in law. Right. So he's like, why does everyone keep putting an E in judgment? I pointed out to him, I said, John, it's because there is an E in management. It's because... Sometimes you do spell a word that ends in G and then goes into mint with an E, and sometimes you don't. Management has an E before the M. Judgment does not. It just goes straight from the G to the M. And so there's there's a really, really weird set of, of I mean, there are no rules to English spelling unless you know the etymology of the word, which is one of the reasons why I've personally been so fascinated by English etymology is partially because it teaches you how words have evolved and how we wildly misuse so many of them. Like pumpernickel. It means fart goblin. <laughs> well, I mean, let <laughs> me look it up. I feel like, no, I mean, not you. I feel like that's accurate. It is. Well, I mean, well, I mean uh, fart goblin. A, a, a simple example is <laughs> you little pumpernickel. <laughs> do you know how few gentlemen you have ever met in your life? I would wager none. I would wager you have never met a single gentleman in your life. Yet how many people have you referred to as a gentleman? How many women have you referred to as a lady? I would wager you've never met a lady in your life. You know, but, but the I, dude I looks like a lady. Considering my <laughs> upbringing, I probably <laughs> have not. <laughs> but yeah, the gentleman looks like a lady. But the, the point being, though, that it's not just the evolution of the words. If you know the etymology, you know what language it came from. It can give you hints on the spelling. So if you know that this was French versus Greek versus Latin versus German, you know, versus whatever, that's where you start to pick up your clues on how is this word spelled. And I think it was good old Noah Webster for whom, if I'm not mistaken, the Merriam Webster, the Webster half of that is from, I think, Noah Webster. And I've been told he had some kind of weird and controversial views. But one of the things he tried to do is standardize English into a phonetic language where words were always spelled in a consistent way based on how they were pronounced. And that's where we get things like donut being spelled D-O-N-U-T uh, and where we get things like night being spelled N-I-T-E. And it made the language a lot simpler, but his ideas never caught on. And so we stuck with this smorgasbord of pronunciations and spellings and all this craziness, which for you non-English speakers, if you've learned English, once again, I would wager our grammar was probably pretty easy. Conjugation in English is pretty damn simple. But if you're trying to spell, oh, God be with you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's not what this episode's about. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <sighs> Just hit F7. I was going to say, because this episode is about Chad being our subject matter expert on spell checking and no, grammar. No, no, no. That, that is that'd that's be a, the most painful. That'd be bonus a bonus episode, episode and that's not what we're going to talk about. The only real closer I have to this is 
when in doubt, use F7, hit F7, unless you're on a Mac, in which case hit your CPU with a hammer and buy a computer. And yeah. keep your gutters clean. <laughs> so what I did want to talk about is we talked several episodes back about Westmarch's games. And then I followed that up with a solo episode where I clarified some of the things about West Marches because in the course of that episode, we made a whole lot of jokes. And in the process, I don't think ever really got to actually explaining West Marches properly. I feel like I was on that episode. You you were. And that, that may have been a lot of jokes. No, well, you <laughs> contributed. I believe you were on the episode and you contributed. But no, you were not the sole issue. I was part of the problem, too, where we were editorializing the real West Marches stuff. But in the process, we were making so many jokes that by the end of it, it wasn't clear what West Marches even really was. Gotcha. So that's why I came back and then did a solo episode follow up where I'm like, OK, our jokes aside, this is what West Marches actually is and where it came from and, and so on and so forth. But this has now become a bit more real. Because there's a game that I am prepping to run that is going to have several unique properties, at least compared to how we normally game. All right, so I'm going to list the properties, then we're going to discuss them. One is it is a West Marches game, and this will be the first West Marches style game, to the best of my knowledge, that anyone on or directly affiliated with Fear the Boot has ever attempted to run. Now, if you're not sure what a West Marches game is, I will link you both the facetious but advice-driven episode and then also the more rote encyclopedic episode in the show notes. You can go back and review those if you're not clear what West Marches is. It'll be a test later. Yeah, but I I don't want to bore our regular listeners by retreading those same topics. All right, so one, it's a West Marches game. Two, it's going to be map-heavy which is not generally how we run our games. We tend to run them based on descriptives rather than maps. I mean, unless something's really confusing, like a combat layout or the exact innards of a dungeon or something like that. But we don't tend to use very many maps. And then number three is it's going to involve two children, one who's nine and one who's 13. And I don't think we've talked about children's games since Chad's muffin game with (laughs) Sky. So this is, once again, not how we usually game. And this is going to be really interesting because this game is going to involve both Brodor and a nine-year-old, and somehow I have to keep my sister from killing me. (laughs) So you can see that I've got a lot of work cut out for me here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to surprise everyone and tell you that I have the ability to put a lid on it and behave well around children. I call bullshit. I have three nephews. I am very good with my nephews. You can speak to my sister-in-law. She will confirm for me or my older brother. But I have run a D&D game for a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old who are my buddy's kids. So I can do it. Now, it's exhausting to mm-hmm. not be mm-hmm. me for that period of time, but I can do it. And I I look forward to running a game for people who are not initiated because children bring a wonderment to gaming. Like everything's mm-hmm. fresh, everything's new, everything's exciting. 
And I'm, I'm super stoked about having the opportunity to do that because I can dust off old tricks that I've used again and again until they're just dull little nubs. And to mm-hmm. these kids, it'll be like, that's the coolest f-ing thing. I mean, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, mom, because I would never <laughs> say coolest f-ing thing because then I wouldn't be allowed to game with Uncle Dan's friends. But, <laughs> All right, but well, OK, so let's let's start there. Let's talk about the kids. But I think you also tied in something else. All right, so in this West Marches game, let me give you the very, very quick setup. It's D&D 5e. I am going to be the primary GM. Brodor and Wayne are also GMing. And the players consist of the GMs who can play as long as they're not GMing. And then it also consists of Julia, Johnny G, my brother-in-law Adam, my brother-in-law Doug, my sister Rebecca, the two kids, the 9-year-old and the 13-year-old. And I want to say there's another person or two in there I'm forgetting. But within those people, you have a mix of people who are very experienced gamers who have gotten suckered into those tropes that an elf is snooty and lives in the trees and, you know, whatever. The the Tolkien sort of archetypes. Yeah, what f***ing biped is bade for living in trees? That's some stupid right there. If elves look like f***ing monkeys, it would make sense if they lived in trees. (laughs) But also... They have tree houses. Yeah. That's that's stupid, too. The idea that we're going to do architecture in a goddamn tree, tree, as opposed to just on the f***ing ground. (laughs) Let's practice that not cussing to save Aisha and I a whole lot of 440 hertz, 0.1 amplitude (laughs) sine waves. So let's let's try just back let's up off my Tolkien Brodor. Let's practice this. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that elves live in trees, Dan. But you know what? Whatever you know, convention whatever the in... children like, it's it's cool. Well, but what no, no, makes no. sense is they live in tree houses in trees, and the tree houses are made of trees, but they're not allowed to cut any of the trees down. You know, so where did they get the trees to make the tree houses in the trees? But, all right, but oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> do yeah. you know who wants a tree house? Me. A child. I want a treehouse. Okay, you know who doesn't want a, a treehouse? You know, a two hundred year old in puberty. I mean, that's who doesn't want a flipping tree. How you know do you who, know? Are you a you know two hundred year old in puberty? You yes. know who owns a treehouse? <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. A forty year old man who likes to hunt and he calls it a deer stand. That is accurate. But it's just a tree. That house. is that is not. not yes. a, you know what? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, no. I I think I think therein lies the point. When you have new gamers some of which are kids who have probably not even been exposed to the influencing literature or the influencing stories. But you also have people that are new to gaming who might have seen things like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or whatever, but they haven't been indoctrinated into the tried and true tropes of gaming. That first of all, as you said, you can dust off a lot of chestnuts that will be new for these people. You know, they won't suspect the mimic until the mimic happens. Right. I still never suspect the mimic, to be fair. (laughs) But the second thing you get is it's not that they go for the simple tropes. They don't know them. It's the reverse. You get someone who is the complete opposite of what you expect. I've mentioned this before, but the sister who did this is in this game, too, where she played a halfling. But instead of living in a hobbit hole and smoking weed and growing stuff, she was this like overcultured Southern belle. She even did the character with a Southern accent. 
I mean, she was like something straight out of the wind. Gone with the Wind, yeah. And that was, it was all. I do declare these goblins have vexed me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, here, here shows up Frodina, right? <laughs> and you're expecting something out of that as a grizzled veteran gamer. And all of a sudden, it's nothing like what you think Frodo should be. You know, it's someone who plays the dwarf that isn't afraid of horses, doesn't speak with a Scottish accent, and despises alcohol. <laughs> and they're not doing that to be contrarian. This is a character they came up with. Right? Yeah. They didn't know. They didn't know what dwarves are supposed to be, so they couldn't break the archetype. Because they didn't even know. And so it will not only give you the ability to uniquely surprise them as a GM, even with some things that may be tried and true, and maybe old hat to experienced gamers. But it also gives you the opportunity to be surprised by them because they're going to do some things you totally did not expect. When Adam, who's in this game, played his first D&D game, he very respectfully, and it wasn't a joke, but he nonetheless played an elf who had a particular form of autism. And he didn't do it to be mean. It wasn't a joke. He played it very seriously. But who in all their years of D&D has sat down and said, you know what? I want to play a character with certain mental or social struggles. And that's going to be an elf who's not hellbent on revenge, but who does things like they walked into a burial ground for elves. All right. If you don't know D&D or this is a specifically Forgotten Realms thing, there is something called a Bailnorn. A Bailnorn is a form of lich that is it's equally powerful to other liches, but it is good aligned. And it's basically an elf, sometimes a dwarf, who has given their life and death to guarding over a tomb and to protecting its sanctity. And so the way I described it was I said, you know, you guys walk into this dungeon that was inside a hill that is a Haptooth Hiller. It's right by the Standing Stone, for those of you who are in Forgotten Realms. I think it's called something like Haptooth Hill. And they walked into there because they were allowed in by the Bailnorn. And in the middle of all this, there was like a central room that led off to all the treasure rooms and to all the burial rooms and all, all that kind of stuff, all the crypts and whatever. But there was a central sort of passage room. And in that room, I said that there was a throne and sitting on that throne was an empty suit of chain and and leather and banded armor so it's kind of a, a soft armor I don't, I don't mean soft like you know full leather but i mean soft like as in it wasn't plate you know it didn't have a form of its own if there's no body in it it's like clothes draped across a chair and when they walked into the room that inflated or filled like a body was in it and they didn't see the person in it, but only like when the light caught things the correct way, it was like a crystal that's invisible from let's say 270 degrees, but from 90 degrees, you could see certain lines of it. And so there's this thing that they usually couldn't see except by virtue of the armor, unless they caught it in just the right light. And then they saw just the barest outline of this thing. And they were like maybe second, third level. Bailnorn, incredibly wildly powerful. Once again, we're talking lich levels of power. 
This thing is insanely powerful. And so this armor inflates and there's this pseudo ghostly form in there. And it gives us credentials and starts asking them these very difficult questions. And Adam's character steps forward to tell him he'd like to start measuring him for a different set of clothing that's more up to date with the current fashions. (laughs) (laughs) You think I had brought this as a GM? (laughs) No, you get this. This is a lich, right? It's good aligned, but still lich. And if you're pissing it off, well, within good alignment, it can still kill you, depending on what you're doing, because it has a task to protect this right. burial ground, and you've intruded on it. You know, this thing could annihilate you. So I'm expecting that you've confronted a dragon moment of terror and with and hesitation, and instead he walks forward and wants to start measuring it and then sewing up a new outfit for it, <laughs> because what it's wearing is so thousand years ago. You think I had scripted this? No. And that's what I'm saying is, man, you walk in with new players, you surprise them. But be prepared. If you're not telling them what to do, which, by the way, is an awful way to integrate a new player into the hobby. I mean, offering them hints is one thing or answering their questions is one thing. But if you tell them how the the dwarven Scottish ale drinking, horse fearing fighter is supposed to be, you have taking that creativity away from them. And if you don't take that creativity away from them, be ready because they're going to do stuff you never expected. So let's pull it back to the game here. Sure. Stuff. So you're doing a West Marches thing. Do you think it would be helpful to, especially with the kids involved, to do like a lot of collaborative world building? So what I intend to do, and that's a very fair question. So what I intend to do I downloaded a map-making tool from Inkwell Ideas, and we've interviewed them before. It's Joe Wetzel. Keith Curtis does a lot of their art. Fabulous, absolutely wonderful company. They make great products. I will link this in the show notes. But they have a tool called Worldographer. And within Worldographer, you have varying levels of maps you can make. Hmm. So you can make city maps, and there are auto-populate features for this. You can make area maps, you can make world maps, you can even make star system maps, you can make all kinds of stuff. So what I've been doing because of the nature of a West Marches game is that I have to make the base world because West Marches games are setting driven. They're not plot driven, they're not character driven, not to say those aren't in there, but they're fundamentally setting driven. What happened to this world? What are they exploring? They choose where they want to go in sandbox fashion. But... That doesn't mean I can't collaborate with them in some regard. So, for example, I have told them, and a couple of people are chomping at the bit to make their characters, I kept telling them no. Because a big no-no for me is nobody makes their character in a vacuum. You show up to one of my games with a character already made, unless I told you to do that, you're not using that character. Or maybe you are for one session, but then we're remaking it. But what I am doing in the collaboration of world building with them is as they talk to me about the kinds of characters they want to play, I'm changing the world to fit what they're playing. For example, one of the things that Adam wanted to do, he's a big nature guy, real life. He's a big nature guy. And he was kind of talking about what he wanted to be in the world. I said, well, it sounds like a druid. He said, well, I I don't know if I really want to follow some kind of deity. I said, well, druids don't. I said, they don't have to, you know, like a cleric. A druid tends to just be really in tune with nature and the spirit of nature, the gestalt of nature. Now, that may attract a god to them, 
you know, Sylvanus or whatever. But it's not the other way around. It's not like being a true cleric. And then as he was working at the races, he came back to me with one I didn't expect. And I then had to take it back to a vote of the group. Because I originally said only bass player handbook. But he came back to me saying that he wanted to play something called a furbolg. Furbolgs are neutral to good aligned, highly nature oriented, but kind of hobgoblin or bugbear-ish looking creatures. But they're a whole lot more chill and a whole lot more in tune with nature. Yeah, they have softer edges. Yes. They're softer corners, I should say. Precisely. And so I had to put it to a vote because I said, well, he wants to play a furbolg. One of my nephews wanted to play, I forget the name, it's not the Tengu, that's Pathfinder. Well, there's a bird race, the Keku or something? Uh, Kenku? Kenku, yeah, the yes, Kenku. the Kenku. And the other nephew wanted to play a middle state Yonti, which is a snake man. Mm-hmm. Well, all these are covered in the same book, Volo's Guide to Monsters, mm-hmm. which has rules for playing certain monstrous races as player characters. And so I put it to a group vote of, I said, how do you guys feel about me introducing Volo's Guide to Monsters as an nth book that people can pull from that as much as they can from the player's handbook and good old Xanthars, which I think quite frankly should be duct tape to the player's handbook. I love Xanthars. But the point is that when he came to me with that, well, I had to start rethinking things because previously Furbolgs were not really going to be a thing in this world. And on top of that, being a druidic furbolg, how did he end up in this area? And what is it out in this great unexplored unknown that is the campaign, you know, it's conquering and taming this unknown? What is it out there that attracted him to this place originally? Is there some imbalance to nature he needs to correct? Is there a lost tribe of furbolgs he's been cut off from? You know, what's the story there? And so now I have to create that story and I have to ask him, you know, once again, I can't let him be directly involved in collaborative world building because setting is the plot. But I am asking him questions that are collaborative in nature, like what is it you want out of this game? Why are you opting to play a furbolg instead of, say, a human or an elf? What is it as a furbolg you want to experience? Or even ask him the open-ended question of, okay, You've read up on the race. You understand what they are. Why are you here? And when you tell me why you're here, whatever that answer is, I can start to design plot points around that. Now, maybe they fulfill it. Maybe they contradict it. But either way, I'm going to engage it. And so that's where really the collaborative world building is coming in, is as people tell me what their characters are. Because, see, I've built certain parts of this map, but there are certain parts I haven't finished. Now, some of that's been procrastination, lack of time, whatever. But some of that's been because I want this world to be designed on my end to fit what it is they've told me they're trying to experience. So the collaboration is occurring. They just may not be entirely aware it's happening, which I realize is a little different than how we usually do collaborative world building. But this is where I guess there's some level where I have to trust myself. They have to trust me. And if I misunderstood something, I have to be flexible enough to change things on the fly because I'm going to be creating this around what I understand it is they're trying to get out of this game. And so 
the world's adapting to them oh so quietly without their awareness of it occurring. Which means in turn, with Brodor and Wayne being my co-GMs, that I have to be careful to communicate back to them. I like assistant. Co-GM <laughs> implies a lot of responsibility. <laughs> well, and well, there is responsibility. Assistant GM sounds like less work because if you if you add to the world, all about the less work. If you yeah. add to the world, which you're gonna do, which I I intend to do, sure. Or if they tell you something and it's like, oh. Dan had written this one dungeon to add to the story of this one player, and it turns out that's not what they were after, and you realize that, you got to shoot a note back to me, and one or both of us has right. to figure out, fix it. how do we revise this to actually give them what they want, instead of the crap they didn't care about. There are a number of things that are intriguing to this idea to me specifically not having to do the heavy lifting, just being able to say, Hey guys, um, I threw together an adventure for a few, you know, third level characters. We're going to do a dungeon over in this area of the world. Um, we're going to zoom at seven o'clock. It should take us three or four hours da, 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 and be done with it. But the other thing that's interesting is, you know, and I, I'm sure Chevy chase is not the only comedian that has said this, but essentially, or I'm crediting Chevy chase anyway, the idea that you are in a box being on television or having a film rating or something telling me, Mike, your D&D game has to be PG-13 is an intriguing challenge Yeah, because normally the games that I run are R to NC-17 <laughs> to Jesus Christ, what were you thinking? Sort of stuff. Sure. And so for me, actually having an audience with some firm guidelines is going to be interesting because I'm going to game in a fashion that I haven't done since I was a kid, right? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and speaking along those lines, because I completely agree with you, there's one thing that somebody noted to me about when you force yourself not to cuss. Now, I'm not really bothered by profanity. I love the stuff. You know, I use it probably Same more thing. than I should. But one something that somebody pointed out to me was that when you force yourself to stop using profanity, you also have to engage more language. That you have to find... In, of, in real language, not like, oh my gosh. Yes. You know, not replace... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not fudgy darn sickles. Yeah. Right. But I mean like... Shut the front door. Yeah, shut the front... <laughs> okay. I kind of like that. Well, the one, the one my sister always uses is... I grew it, up Mormon. I have all of the substitutions for foul language. It's is great. instead of, oh my God, she says, oh my Lanta. <laughs> and I do a similar one. Instead of saying, God damn, I say, God bless America. <laughs> you know, but those are... Do, Jesus Christ, I do... Jesus Christos! There's just more to it. Yeah, and that's it's why... It's got gusto. It does. It does have gusto. Yeah, like and it, it has some kind of romantic language spin to it. Yeah. But, yeah, ex exactly. You avoid not only the profanity, but the cheap replacements. It forces you to figure out, how do I encapsulate hitting my thumb with a hammer and screaming the F word? Fudge. Fudge, yes. Fourteen shirt balls. Fire truck. <laughs> what was that? It, it, <laughs> what? <laughs> Watch the good place. Forking shirt balls. Yeah, oh, it's great. Why the fork? Can I say fork? <laughs> yeah, but it forces you yeah. to engage Wonderful. that in regular language. Like, how do I say something that strong without either the f bomb or a cheap replacement for the f bomb? See, what you do, Dan, is you double down. You don't use 
the F-bomb. You throw the hammer into your privacy fence that you just paid a lot of money for, and <laughs> you just seethe profanity, right? <laughs> you just talk about maggot-ridden C-words and da-da-da-da-da, and you just go yeah. until your neighbors call the police. <laughs> And then you show them your medication and they take you away for a vacation. It's yeah. great. <laughs> this sounds like a fascinating attempt. Huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I went the route of having... Uh, That's uh, oddly specific. <laughs> I went the route of having a high-end lawyer on speed dial, but sure. Yes, Don't recommend that strategy. My lawyer moved to another country fleeing, you know, basically you? he went to a country with difficult extradition. Yeah, I mine's still here and still practicing <laughs> law. But the point being, though, that I think one of the things that forces you to do, because depending on who the players are, you know, Johnny G, Julia, they're down for the R rated or even NC-17 rated stuff. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, you said Julia is down for the R and even NC-17 rated stuff, and I just remembered her female pirate captain that she was playing. I forget what the system was. Yeah, who had a crucifix uh, sex toy. No, she oh was... Oh, my. No, she was... She must, that might have been the same one, but she was... Like that. A, her character was female, pretending to be a male because she was a pirate captain and she had to be a man. Oh, so yeah. she did the she had a, Anne, what's her name thing? I can't remember what was her last name. No. Bonnie Anne. I'm not even sure I could tell you what she did. To be honest with you, without going into a negative episode, uh, no, I, I understand. I've I've heard I've heard some parts of the there story. were splinters involved. It was amazing. But yeah, the splinters involved came from the crucifix. Um, no, it wasn't a crucifix. Okay, the one she told me about. I'm so curious. We're gonna well, have to talk neg- about that. Off we'll drag Julie on for negative episodes. Yeah, she so t- she let's tell her story. <laughs> let's put a pin in that. Yeah, this is her story. Yes. So we're gonna put a pin in that. Obviously, we're messing it up. So. Now, if the audience <laughs> would like Dan. It wouldn't be much of a burden, but I will just fill in the details. If we just <laughs> thank you, now moving back to so, but then when you get later. people, no, I wasn't there. I will be making it up out of whole cloth. I know, Even and that's you probably make up something worse. <laughs> Even better, like I you would it. probably outdo Julia. <laughs> but then there's people in the game. It's a cowbell scrotum. This was my fault. I apologize. Uh, yeah, it I, is I, your fault. It is. It kind of was. Thank you. I, I, I actually yeah. 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 You hit the red button to open every door in the asylum. I did. It was me. You aren't uh, the crazy, but you, you invited right. the crazy. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the warden who put his coffee cup down on the red button by accident. And, yep. yes. Yeah, now there's a riot. Just a heavy so, black cast iron So. <laughs> So the other thing, though, the the other thing, stepping down from that, (laughs) is that you'll get people like Adam or possibly Rebecca or whatnot, who maybe aren't going to feel the need to be G to PG rated like you got to be with the kids, but they're not going to be prepped or interested in the hard R NC-17 stuff. And with them, you're definitely more of a PG-13. Right. And then you get down to the kids where I think they're old enough for PG. This doesn't have to be a truly well, childish game. We're killing monsters, right? Like sure. We're, we're yeah. taking the life of monsters. So death is a thing. It's a, it, I mean, it's a subject that we're going to tackle. Sure, I- exactly. But when it comes to the halfling shopkeeper cursing, you're going to have to go with things like my fuzzy feet. Yeah. 
You oh, know. right. Of course. And, yeah, as of, of course. And so you can't rely on some of the plot points. Now, I'll have my laptop with Urban Dictionary, like, <laughs> there, ready to go, just in case the kids have questions. My favorite <laughs> game-related expletive I heard was at Con of the North, I was in a Pathfinder game. Someone said some something, and it was Calistria's Garters. And, like, it was just the most wonderful moment with this person, like, swearing. And it was totally great. Not that I'm per se suggesting this was a point of reference, kind of what, like what you're talking about, Laura. Is, uh, Laura. Laura is in, <laughs> in Chaucer's yeah. Canterbury Tales. One of the people on, a, like, a religious pilgrimage or something like that is incredibly foul-mouthed but it doesn't come across in modern English. You read it, and it's like, this guy's weird. But well, if you know. in Middle English, he was actually cursing up a storm. Yeah, He uses phrases like, God's arms. What does that even mean? Yeah. I mean, in what circumstance, other than saying, like, God loves you and God's arms are around you, I, I don't even know what context you use this in. But in its time, that was a profane phrase. Mm-hmm. What did it mean? It was some form of blasphemy, apparently similar anything to... What, anything involving the name of God was usually blasphemy. Usually, like, yeah, usually. Sounds and, like, God's wounds and different... Well, yeah. I mean, we still even have some of those raw stuff over the day. Because, for example, G's. Yeah. G's is short for Jesus, mm-hmm. which I've always found interesting because I go to church and I hear people trying to avoid taking the Lord's name in vain say, oh, G's. It's like you realize what you just did. Mm-hmm. You just are kind of ignorant to what you did. But once I mean, it, if you're going to be pedantic. But you know, the, the, but the point is, <laughs> my brother says only a pedant knows what it means to be pedantic, and he's right because <laughs> I know what a pedant is. Yeah. And I totally am one. But the point I'm making is that when you're dealing with these audiences who are not seasoned gamers and who may have a rating restriction on them that first of all, it allows you to use stories that otherwise you couldn't use because they would otherwise be too childish, like a king who wants muffins. Now, once again, they're a little old for that, but that doesn't mean you can't make things somewhat a, a king who wants muff, somewhat <laughs> simplistic. I mean, what king doesn't? Yeah. And in the case <laughs> of both the kids and the next step up, which is the adults who might have tighter sensibilities and say you or I do, is that you have to start to rely on story points and points of reference that don't go there. I don't know how I would run, for example, Skies of Glass game that's kid-friendly, because so much of that story relies on the horror of what's in the world. Well, we, we're, we're playing Ists and Militia. You know, we're seven, eight, nine years old. Maybe there's a couple older kids, younger kids in the group. And then Ists actually show up. Yeah, and the game's over. So it'll basically what we'll do. And I'm we'll getting take, a strongly worded email we'll take, from a bunch we'll of take, parents. We'll take Tolkien's raising of the Shire, right? But we'll do it skies of glass. <laughs> yeah. So the Carver clan shows up. And so it's, it's going to basically be faces of death. <laughs> Yes. Plus cannibalism. Yes. Plus, shall we say, a whole lot of well, non-consensuality. Wearing children like hats. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you actually, in seriousness, though, you actually can do stuff like that. Because I, I did it for uh, our Blades in the Dark game. Now, not the one that Lura was in, 
But the previous one I had run. Now, if we're going to miss, shouldn't it be L-O-R-A if we're no. going to spell it? No. Laura? No. No. That's wrong. No. Okay. All right. I just, I mean, if if we were shitting the bed, I just thought I have have already had this internal Chad enjoys doing this because he knows it is going to get a reaction out of me every goddamn time he says it. When I write it, I don't do it on purpose. Well, I'm already past this because Tomb Raider was released before there was broad availability of internet video, voice acting, things like that. And the name L-A-R-A can't be pronounced Laura. It can also be pronounced Lara. So for years, until I actually heard it said in game, I thought the name was Lara or Lara Croft, not Laura Croft, because they don't put a U in it. So I, I'm already past this. This is old history to me. But anyway, in this place of the dark right, era, right. And so you know, criminals and you mm-hmm. know, there's some comedy elements in it, but it was a dark game. It was dark criminal. There's sort of a cosmic horror aspect to it that I put in. And so it was not a light game, right? right? Then people were dying and stuff. But we had off games that I would run where the criminals held a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And there were consistent NPCs and all that sort of stuff that populated it and whatnot. And sometimes we'd have an off game where a couple people wouldn't show up, but we still kind of wanted a game. And I ran a game for kids. And what I mean by that is that the players played children and it was this sort of hijinks, right? They're not playing kid versions of themselves. They're playing the sort of gutter snipes that run around this area that they yeah. control. And as the adults are going through, they're like killing people and assassinating people and stealing things and, you know, monsters and ghosts and all this horrible stuff. The kids are like playing pranks and stuff. Their friend uh, smashed a window. So the constable grabbed him and threw him in the cooler. Well, yeah. they had to break the kid out. But the thing is, they didn't have guns and knives and points. Right. They're not going to kill anybody. Right. So it forces the adults to think actually more intelligently. You just can't go in there and shoot a guy in the face. And you mean you have to behave like the world is real? Right. <laughs> and <laughs> That's the, nonsense. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. You know, because they were like sneaking around and stuff. And then I, I think they like set up a trap where the constable was chasing them and he opened the door and all this stuff fell on him. And that was the monster, right? It's this six foot tall adult. Going, right. oh, where's those kids? And they're all like screaming and running and stuff. Well, you did that in our but 5e it, game too. It, yeah. Because and, we had their. And, yeah, I did that in the 5e yeah. game where they were kids. And the social situation and also the reality of it is that kids aren't going to just murder hobo their way through something. Right. It forced them to think about it, to think about what they were doing and find creative ways around it. And I did that, too, in the game that I ran for Sky and Dawn when he was real little, because one of the challenges I put upon myself was this is a game for a little kid, you know, Muffin King and sure, Goblin, sure, all sure. that yeah. sort of silly stuff. And so I made the rule that in the story, there was a terrible war. And there was lots of killing, and it made the king sad. And so when the war was over, the king made a law that says no one is allowed to kill anyone else. And that's where we started. And they had weapons, and they had abilities, and they had all this stuff. But you couldn't kill anyone because the terrible war made the king sad, and the king said you couldn't kill anyone. And it caused Sky and, by extension, Dawn, to be creative in how they dealt with things. And it also forced me as a GM to be creative, to present them with realistic, interesting, engaging challenges that had a path for them to solve without murder. 
Yeah, and I think one of the difficulties that is going to be intrinsic to Westmarch's game is the fact that, once again, the setting is the primary story. There is character development, there is character evolution, there is plot, but the biggest pie piece of the story is the setting. And the setting is simultaneously occupied by stories that are going to appeal to both the desires of and accept and integrate the actions of. Because as you change the setting, this becomes permanent reality of someone like Brodo or Julia or Johnny G, but also my nephews. And so I can't have a world where there's no killing. Right. And this is going to create some other difficulties. I'm not saying these are insurmountable, but I think people are going to have to accept at the metagame level that the world's going to change a little bit. That if you go to a shady part of the main city that this is all taking place from, because they're in this main city, and from there they adventure outward and then come back to the city's home base, that they go to a particularly bad part of the town or the outskirts of town, that when the adults go there, there are horrors. That's part of life there. That's part of desperation. But when the kids go there, there are now beggars you know it's something else it has to be it's not cosmic horror and tentacles it's right you know just your average crime and graft and so i might even still have to keep some of those characters there are the kids playing kids no are the adults playing kids no so that so from the character standpoint there's no actual kids correct they're they're all adults at least to the best of my knowledge and no Mm -hmm. one's made characters yet well and then you have a lot of weird stuff too like the bold narc Furball, furball thing, yeah, yeah, the furball. Like, like, what is a furball kid? Is it like, is it like a two hundred? Like somebody's playing an elf and they're three hundred years old. They're just barely out of diapers, you know. Well, right, right, exactly. But you know, I have to. But you can even all that out. But let's say they end up on one side of the town, and one of the streetwalkers becomes a regular source of RP or information or i think you know or an the, end of the with the thieves. streetwalker thing you and just made me think too her, like her profession's going to change well, yeah, based on who's there right yeah like, she entertains when the kids come yeah maybe she's more geisha if i had a piece of advice to give i can't even say if sky were in this because sky's a teenager now sure you know so it really wouldn't matter but let's say my kid was what's the youngest you're doing nine nine let's say my my kid was nine as a parent I would want one of the game masters, probably you because you're the lead, to come to me and say, okay, what is off the table? Yeah. Don't assume I'm going to put in slavery and horrible stuff and this, that, but just tell me what are some stuff you don't want to see? Well, you don't want your kid to see. And be sure to disseminate that information yes. to the other yes. game yeah. masters because I need because, to know. And then just make some shit up too. Because just I put am extra stuff on the list. That I am, yeah, about. exactly. Because yes. I am 99 percent sure whatever line items they give you you because you're a good person and you love your nephews you would never even put that in in the first place sure but as a parent it would actually make me feel really good about the experience if you ask yes and this is where i intend to not only engage adam Mm -hmm. who's my brother-in-law and their father but i also want to engage adam with brodor and wayne who are also gming this Mm -hmm. 
to make sure that we have discussed these issues. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, and the reason they're cool with killing, but they just don't want to see they don't need blood a, in the gutter. They don't want a graphic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want a graphic You murder. slay him and he was an evil He, he falls down dead. Ugh. As yeah. opposed to you cut him open and eviscerate his, his guts. And his intestines <laughs> yeah. spray all over your face. The hot, and, warm spray of his arterial arterial blood. <laughs> There's right. gray matter in his gutters. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you, and Adam listens to these, so he's probably going to hear this. But I'm going to have a moment of total honesty which is I'm playing a bit of politics here because I'm going to ask Adam because Adam's going to... Well, I noticed that you're not asking your sister. But I think it's an important conversation to have. Like, I mean, it's a topic that I know I constantly go back to and that's knowing your players. But when you're playing with kids, you have to talk with the parents. Yeah, they because they can't express what they should and should not Well, and parents differ so much between what... Like, I have a nine-year-old. My nine-year-old plays D&D. She plays with me. She plays with Adam. She play like she's into this. She's knowledgeable about this. She knows killing happens. Mm-hmm. I swear, like a sailor, this kid knows that if she's gaming with me, the word f- is going to come up a lot, and and a whole lot of other things. Shut the front door. Shut the front door. But <laughs> oh, it's also <laughs> it's also very much a the themes that I'm comfortable with having around her. Mm-hmm. I use as teaching moments. Sure. So, yeah, maybe there is a streetwalker in my game. Mm -hmm. And we talk about how it's important to respect people's bodies and how consent is important and how we behave toward people who are in a profession. They're doing, but they're still a human being. And how do you treat them and how do you Mm -hmm. interact with them? Yeah. It's not like they're cycling in the street. (laughs) I mean, they. they, (laughs) Right. And and I, yes, I agree with you. But I think even the issues that would raise those questions, particularly in the regard to bodily consent, are probably not going to be allowed right. in the kid portion of the game. Well, and again, it depends on how people yeah. parent. So, like, that's are, a topic that is and then that, and that's all ultimately. My, house, so. I have my opinions. Right. I have strong opinions. It's not your f-ing kid. Bingo. Yep. It's mm-hmm. not my kid, and by extension, I accept. I am allowed my opinions. You know, I believe that matters of conscience and matters mm-hmm. of what's in your head are between you and you alone, unless you believe mm-hmm. in a higher power than is you and the higher power. But otherwise, it's just you. And nobody gets to dictate that to me. Mm-hmm. But I feel my sister and my brother-in-law have every right to dictate within reason what I say to their kids. Absolutely. Sure. Now, I, I, well, I won't get up into to a it. certain age. Yeah. 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 And then, it really well, and depending on the topic and such, <laughs> yeah. once again, I, I don't want to get into way into the weeds on this, but I what I would say is, is that the things that would bring up questions like bodily consent and personal sexual choice, the topics that would even invoke those questions. Well, and I'm using that well, as an example. Yeah, no, 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 someone no. said streetwalker. Like I'm not gonna. I'm probably not no, literally she'll, going she'll to have a prostitute a about organ harvest for a kid. Sure, but, you know, I mean, streetwalkers. Nah, nah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. It is well, weird. I'm just. I'm just. Go, my point is that yeah. you yes. can use themes that are possibly quote unquote more adult themes yeah. as teaching moments. I, no, I, I completely agree I, with you. I would you. love to see a. Thief get caught by the sheriff or whatever, and they're going to do something horrible, like they're going to cut off his thumb or they're going to blind him or something like that. And that doesn't happen, right? See, I would do social experiments, and this is mm-hmm. why I'd be terrible at doing this. 
I would have that situation where they're going to do some medieval horrible thing to this person. Do the kids step up and stop them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and if they don't, can I nudge one of the parents to say, well, what do you think we should do here? They're going to blind that guy. And all he did was steal a loaf of bread for his family. Mm -hmm. See, that's how I would frame it. But I do have a question. So it's a Westmarch game. So people can come in and out and that sort of thing. Yes. So there is the absolute possibility of you having a game with none of the kids present. Correct. Would you guys do a tonal shift and do your sort of West Marches After Dark? Absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, without question. I, I yeah. think we just have to come up, because you have to report back what happened, because right. mm-hmm. the other GMs need to know and the other players need to know. So if they go out and they... And I'm not talking going full fatal here, but actually, sure, sure. it's like, no, we're eviscerating them. Blood we're telling the an R-rated story. Right, we, right. We're back to having streetwalkers and, and mm-hmm. disemboweling. But what I would say is the absolute yes, but we would have to find a way to report that back and right. to play it off in future games in a different tone. Mm-hmm. Because let's say they go into a town where there's... Why does Miss Kitty have a black eye? Well, Miss Kitty... Because uh... I didn't want to tell her twice. That's why Miss <laughs> Kitty's only got the one. Miss <laughs> Kitty should have had dinner warmer. I mean, it's... Uh, God, I hope people know I'm kidding. No, if, if they don't know we're kidding, I, I don't know what to say. But, but the, the point being, though, that yes, we have something where there's a town that's let's say under some dark magic that makes it all chaotic and crazy. Mm-hmm. And I get a group that is Brodor, Wayne, Julia, and John. We may tell that story in a very different way than I would with the kids there. It, but but yeah. if the kids decide because let's say there was some issue left unresolved yeah. and they're like, well that sounded like fun. Now they've only heard the the toned down version yeah sure but they decide they want to go back and finish dealing with something well i'm not going to have them walk into the town and there's corpses with their intestines all over the place and the adults need to understand that no blood like like, let's say we oh we're doing west marches after dark eyes hell yeah and you know we're gonna go to this horrible area of town and like you said a couple days later kids come in we're doing a kids game and for whatever reason, they go into the horrible part of town. You look at the adults and you say, nod, wink, that, yeah. you know. By the time they get there, it's like you see yeah. a lot of scuff marks. It looks like a lot of fight happened here. I think the kids are old enough I could even say something like, you see some dried blood. Right. You think this is recent. Hey, one of the kids, roll <laughs> me uh, this check. Yeah. And based see on if that, you see the new helmet your dad's wearing. That's an actual human skull. Yeah, we're not going to wouldn't go there. <laughs> but the, the his eyeballs just uh, <laughs> yeah, like like a little Pippi Longstock. Yeah. You know. But you know, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we could still tell the truth, but tell it in a way where the camera is much more zoomed out. Yeah. Where the worst of it's been cleaned up or resolved. And I, I would also recommend, and this doesn't have to be like this hard fast thing. Like I need consent forms and all that sort of stuff but let's say okay we're doing a we're doing a west marches after dark guys let people know just when you lead off like okay we've been doing all of these gpg games with the kids we finally have it an adults night guys how are we with going a hard r (laughs) you know because it wouldn't bother me if we did that and and me not being told but i could imagine someone going (laughs) into that and thinking oh this is great I'm going to be in the GPG game. And then it's skull, it's, helmets, yeah, it's and a, it's a evil death. Yeah. Lower jaws and necklace. It's right. Yeah. And 
because that puts her in a difficult situation. Nobody wants to be the negative Nancy. Nobody wants to kind of come down on the party. Everybody seems to be having fun. She's uncomfortable. Well, you know what's you know, funny? She just need people like that. Just need to know this is something we did not talk about in our episode on Splat Books because it wasn't relevant. But this is something I found to be more relevant with this West Marches game. Is Splat creates or can create a level of disconnect. Let me use the example of one of my nephews is obsessed with penguins. I mean, like totally obsessed with penguins. And that's why he wants to play a kinku. And I'm just going to so allow him to play a kinku who is black and white colored. I mean, he's not yeah. going to be an actual penguin. Then it talks. Right. But there is a disconnect or there is a separation. Oh, Make it a penguin. Well, I why mean, not? Well, sure. But, but whatever we do, whatever we do, the point Let is. Let the kid have his penguin, Dan. But the point the is world's greatest uncle. that someone's saying, I'm going to. <laughs> Mark your flipper, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, you know, tie up your penguin appendage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hit the same way as I'm going to cut off your hand. Right. And that is something that letting the splat in allows. It's the same thing with someone wanting to play a mid form yawn tea, where they have a roughly humanoid upper body. It's, I mean, covered in scales and crap, but it's roughly humanoid in shape, but it has the tail of a snake. Well, once again, that's a stupid way around. But but saying your tail got cut is very different than saying someone hacked off your foot. It's a disconnect, right? Because it's it's not as real. There's fiction built in to the reality. The internal consistency of the game's reality is so obviously fictional that it doesn't have the same impact. And that's something that with them playing only semi-humanoid that gives me some space to work that I wouldn't have if they were forced to play the book races. And when they asked to play non-book races, because three people did, Adam wanted to play a Furbolg, one nephew wanted to play a Kenku, one nephew wanted to play a mid-form Yon T. This is a freak show group, dude. Well, it, we have whole episodes on this. Well, sure, sure, sure. And freak show but you know my and... law. It's yes, but. Mm-hmm. And the but was, I said only... But apparently no penguins. That's the but. I, don't uh, I, I said the yes was... <laughs> I'll consider it because I, I told everyone only book vanilla races, humans, elves, doors, blah, blah, blah. And then so they basically, overruled you. Yeah, you <laughs> set <laughs> a f***ing <laughs> and then they <laughs> shit on you. No. And you allowed no. it to happen. <laughs> no, because when they came back to me and said the other uncle had told them they could play this, this, and this because... He misread the D&D Next page that I linked to, mm-hmm. and he didn't realize that these races are base, and the races below that are a supplement, and the races below that are a supplement. And he thought the whole thing was free game, and so he sold it to my nephews a bit wrong, mm-hmm. but I still there said no. Go. I said no. I said book races only. I said unless... You make this a very lucrative Christmas this year. Yes. Well, kids, they've got no money. <laughs> but the yes, but was I'm talking hold the thumb screws to the uncle that screwed up. <laughs> the yeah, yes, he's handsome. You get him out there street walking, but him make some money. <laughs> but the yes, he is handsome. The yes, but was only if the other players agreed at this, right? Because that was a minority of the players. Were you? fingers crossed hoping that the other players would be like eh. or were you like hey it, it, i'm good either way it, it goes i was goes. good either way if you want to ask what my fingers crossed moment was 
my fingers were crossed more that the rest of the group would play relatively normal things because mm. I don't want to freak show group. Now, if out Are of, they playing relatively normal things? The rest of the group? Yeah. So far, yes. Okay. Now, w- once again, those three people are playing freak show characters. But sure. that's three. But they're, out- they're kids, too. Well, two of, two of them are two, kids. Two of them are kids. So but that's, that's three out of like eight or ten people. Right. Right? So if the rest of the party is humans and elves and, and dwarves and whatever, it still works out to a, a relatively vanilla group with a few unusual things. So, I mean, that was the yes, but I gave them as I said, yes, but only if I put this to a vote and everyone else signs on. And the other yes, but I gave them, as I said, I'm only introducing Volos because the list they were looking at had like five books in there. Right. And there's I, a financial limit. It's like, yeah, I'm not buying all these books. I'll buy Volos. Right. That's it. That if what you like is not in the base book, Xanthar's or Volos and Xanthar has no new races. Then the answer is no. My other sister was at one point saying she wanted to play one of the turtle people. Mm-hmm. I forget what they're Why called. Not a turtle. Turtle. A turtle. turtle. Yeah. yeah, except the turtle is its own damn book. You have to buy an entire book just for the turtle. And so I looked her in the face and I said, no. Well, what if she bought the book? <laughs> how about yeah. how about you take a page from uh, Brodor Game Mastering and this is what you do. You're going to play lizard folk. And here are the classes you're allowed to pick from. And if you don't like it, play somebody else's game. Sorry. If you don't like it, play somebody else's game. Well, I think that's a somewhat harsh view to take with a nine-year-old. Well, you know what? Oh. They need to learn. They need to learn. <laughs> well, well, and I, I, I don't think that's too harsh for a nine-year-old. Good players or bad players? Well, but like I said, when <laughs> he came in. obedient, abused <laughs> players who will go where they're kicked? When he... When, when, <laughs> When he came in and said, harsh I want to play harsh. a penguin person, and the other nephew said, I want to play a snake person. Oh, you guys have fun. Enjoy your game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did not give them I did not give them a blank check. I'm I, kidding, Adam. I, I, I didn't say yes. You I are said, going to annihilate these kids when you run the game. I'm yes. going to blow their minds, and they're going to be like, dude, that my guy is so polite and cute. I can't believe the church group that he's a part of. <laughs> they're going to go back to my other sister and be like, hey, do you know what a Blumpkin is? <laughs> well, you're not, they're not going to use my bathroom. <laughs> there is a picture in my bathroom. I have a very confused look on of my a face little right kid. Now. You know what a Blumpkin is, right? No. We're not going to define it. All right. So go to <laughs> Urban Dictionary. It's, it wasn't me this time. <laughs> I know. Urban Dictionary, it's spelled how it sounds. There's a Blumpkin. There's a Look picture of a child celebrating a, bum, a Blumpkin next to the toilet of my downstairs bathroom. Yeah. Holding a bunch of money. Yeah, he's holding a fistful of money. He's jumping in the air, clicking his heels together, screaming, Blumpkin! And it's not clear if he received or paid for, yeah, or, or if he got money. Like got that's, how he got his, that's how he got that's his or that's that, his chore for the week, <laughs> or if that's what he's off to buy from Ben Franklin's. I, I don't know. So anyway, uh, you can get a hell of a blumper down at Ace Hardware. Just if anybody has one in their neighborhood, just so you're aware, it's like a secret menu item. <laughs> and it's not actually in the Ace Hardware. You have to go around back. Yeah. I'd like about 12 foot of three quarters gauge chain and a blumpkin. It's not in the aisles, but there's like a card you have to take up front to the cash register. But I got to tell you, I have been mainlining ground fiber. It's going to be a while. So anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. See ya.
This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.